Close to half of what New Zealanders owe in child support is made up of late payment penalties, prompting questions from tax and budgeting experts over its effectiveness for both halves of the family it serves. Inland Revenue, which acts as an intermediary collection if no private agreement can be reached, says as of the end of August, outstanding debt amounted to $1.079 billion. $488 million of that was made up of penalties incurred from not paying on time. In 2021, the uh, IR wrote off close to $1 billion in debt and readjusted incremental penalties to an initial fine of 2% and another 8% after 28 days. It was slightly less uh, onerous in terms of a penalty sanction. However, tax expert Terry Boucher says on a monthly payment, this can mount up incredibly quickly, adding to the sheer amount owing, show, and adds the sheer amount sh- owing shows the system needs a rethink. Tauranga's Bay Financial Mentors Manager, Shirley McCoon, deals with clients who become snowed under mounting penalties and also those awaiting the payments to support their children from an ex-partner. She says it's a lose-lose. Terry Boucher and Shirley McCoom are with us now. Welcome to Nine to Noon. Welcome both. Morena. Morena, Catherine. Terry, can you talk us through the situations where we might see IR step in to collect child support? Right. Um, what they can do is... Most, a lot, most child support, if a person is working, will be collected through the pay-as-you-earn system. So generally speaking, most people will be up to date on that. If um, someone falls behind on a payment, doesn't make a payment as required, then, as you explained earlier, they levy a penalty, an initial 2% and then 8% on top of that. And those are levied per payment, so they accelerate very quickly. Now, further to that, Inland Revenue can then if it feels that's so again, it can issue what it's called a deduction notice. And these sometimes are also issued in relation to people who are on pay-as-you-earn. And it, 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 these say to a person who we, is known to be making payments to the, the liable payment parent who's not making the payments, basically it says, this person owes us X um, and you are to deduct a percentage, usually somewhere around 20%, sometimes even higher, um, from any payment you make in the future to that person. So that's a, a, that's one level. And then there's an escalating further, and they can actually take, if it, the default piles up, they can actually even then issue arrest warrants or take actions. You know, some cases they can go into a person's bank account and say to the banks that this person owes us money, pay, pay us X, and um, then accelerating range of sanctions, including the issue of arrest warrants to stop people leaving the country or, as I say, basically because you're in default. What are the issues with using a tax system and using our tax agency for these sorts of payments? What's the issue that you take with that? Well, when it was all set up, you've got to put a bit of historical context here. This system was set up 30-odd years ago, and it saw so part of the Rogernomics um, uh, change and the idea that sort of benefits people should have bear some of the costs themselves when moving away. Because remember, in 19, by 1990, 1991, the um, universal child payments um, had ceased. So 
the the state was saying, you know, if you're raising children, you have an obligation to pay to contribute to that. And the idea of using the tax agency was brought in because otherwise the courts were going to get completely overwhelmed in cases between these. As you mentioned earlier, generally speaking, these arrangements are set up in place because um, the, the separating parties can't agree a financial agreement between them. And, and I'm sure Shirley's going to talk to this as well. Majority of people that are caught up in the system are lower to middle income. Uh, and many are beneficiaries. We don't actually have specifics, but I do recall that when I spoke to your program 10 years ago, that's how long this has been an issue. It's been longer um, than that. 10 years ago, there was reform much... brought in by, by uh, Peter Dunn and government that, that was a well, significant that didn't reform, make right? A, it didn't make a great deal of difference. Okay. It, but look, the, the, the point, the point is, Terry, difference. there's 185,000 kids yeah, in play, sorry, right? Yeah. So, so I appreciate that it's a small percentage, and thank goodness for that, that, that for most people, they can get on and amicably do this. But just come back to Inland Revenue doing it. I mean, to be blunt, it is one of the most powerful authorities in the land, and uh. yes, there are penalties accruing, but that is, is that because it is staying on top of this? The question is whether there's a, there's a better way. Um, well, the a, short answer to that, sorry, go ahead, uh, Catherine, go ahead, no, go ahead. To, no, I didn't mean to talk all the way there, apologies That's for fine. that. That's fine, um, I do too. That's fine, carry on. Uh-huh. Um, um, the short answer is it's not, and it hasn't been for some time. And it and I was really surprised, when I was digging into this, I came across some really quite surprising statistics. Now, I mentioned earlier that they can't issue arrest warrants, and... Um, Say in 2018, the year ended 30 June 2018, in revenue reports at least, it issued 22. In 2019, June 2019, it was four, the same again in 2020, and none in 21 or 22. And the other thing it is also has the power to do is liaise with overseas agencies, particularly with Australia, and go and say, we have people over here. We know people have gone over there. We want you to help us with that. And that collection there has fallen off a cliff as well, and it predates um, COVID. So Inland Revenue has the powers. It is the agency. It was thought that it would be the most efficient agency for doing it, but I think it, it's not doing its job as a short answer. In my it, view. it also wrote off a billion dollars in penalty debt, did it, not too long ago? It's been written, written it off. I mean, back in 2013, just to give a reference, the debt was 2.7 eight billion dollars or 2.1 billion of which was penalties down now as you, as you heard here the debt's down to just over one point one billion dollars and 489 million of which is is penalties but it's consistently writing them off on average only about 70 percent of payments are made on time um the general percentage for tax is around about 80 high eight, just under 90 percent so 30 percent of people never pay on time so this penalty system isn't working right now. If we've got 30% not paying on time, I think we have to really rethink about what we do in relation to that. Thank you. Shirley, can I bring you in, please, about your experience, as we said, of both sides of the equations, right? A, a partner who needs a financial contribution to care for a child or children, but then those who are coming to you because they can't make their payments. Can you give us some um, examples of the situations you're dealing with? Uh, yeah, Catherine, I think that with all social issues, um, there's multiple layers, and I think this is a really good example. Um, the people that we often see 
are people who the debt has accumulated through situations that they have not been able to, to, to navigate. So um, there's multiple issues that cause this problem, and I don't disagree with anything that Terry is saying. Um, but if we look at the people that we see, we see people who go into prison and who are, um, are not aware or not supported to apply for an exemption. And so child support is building up and building up and building up during that time. And that, along with many other debts that they probably had as they went in, um, accumulate and accumulate a lot of penalties. And then we see people who are not able to navigate the system to know how to communicate with IRD around the debt. Um, and I have to say, in our experience, IRD are really good at dealing with this stuff and really open to removing penalties. I don't think the intention is, they're not a finance company, the intention isn't to make as much money out of people as they can. The intention is to have one uh, a, a form of consequence to make to. I have to say, make, not encourage, because you're right, they are a powerful organisation, to encourage people to meet their obligations. Um, the other challenge is that um, it's often calculated on the year prior, and when people have lost jobs, for example, um, it's calculated previously, and if they don't have the skills or the support to go back and address that with IRD and try and have it um, recalculated, then again, it's a debt that they have no hope of paying, and it builds up and gets out of control. And if we look at the way people respond when they are um, in situations of stress, you know, everyone talks about fight, flight. The other F in that combination is freeze, and that's what we see. We see people so overwhelmed by the numbers that they see, so overwhelmed by the system and not confident in being able to communicate that they don't address it. So um, I think that's why you are seeing debt being written off. And, I mean, that would be my message to people is, don't be afraid to come forward and get support to try and deal with this because it's often, as you said, the low um, income earners, people who are not comfortable with the system, not equipped to navigate, uh, that are in that situation. And nobody wins from that. Not the children, not the parents. No. Uh, it's just the slippery slope. Shirley, what yeah. would you do to change the system? I think, again, it's it's never one question. And I mean, I get asked this every time I'm interviewed on social issues. And, you know, if I, I wish I had a magic wand to make it, to correct it all as we, should, <laughs> as we all do. But I think um, we have to understand that we all come into this world with different tools in our kitty. And for as um, organisations like IID become harder and harder for people to have personal interface and to understand, these problems become larger. And it's not just people who lack maybe um, formal education or literacy. It's also our elderly, you know, which we're not talking about in this situation, but people who have a lack of access to IT and things like that. Um, so there's, there's that element. There is more support. I'm, I'm a big proponent for people going in, into incarceration that they have financial mentoring when they go in, while they're in and when they come out so that they are supported to deal with things like an exemption, but also that the family they leave behind are supported to manage debt. So they can be supported to go to work and income and say, uh, my ex-partner who was contributing is now not able to contribute, and all of a sudden I have less money in my pocket, and I don't know how to manage that. 
So support all along the way so that they can be assisted. Because remember, with the recent changes, uh, the child support is treated as income. So that means your benefit might be decreased because you have income in the form of child support. Now, that should be offset with the child support that you receive monthly, which is really hard to budget. Uh, and if you're an ex-partner or the, or the father or mother of your children, of course, because it goes both ways, is suddenly not contributing, there's a big hole in your income. So I think it's about the support and the understanding and peeling through the layers and actually understanding uh, why What's going on in each situation. But yeah. the point is, who's doing that, Shirley, when, as you say, you can't wander into offices anymore and sit down and wait in a queue and then finally speak to a human being about your specific issue? I mean, budgeting yeah. agencies, bless you, you have your limited resources as well, but is that an issue, an inability to communicate effectively with the oh, state? absolutely. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Ter- and I, I wish there was more promotion because ours is a completely free service and there's organisations like us across the country and this is what we do, but people don't know the resources there. And from our side, we have to work hard to take down the barriers that stop people reaching out to us. Terry, what would you do to the system? Well, um, I think about, I was going to say about 55% or a surprisingly high number of people, 50, 60% of people involved in the system are beneficiaries. And Mm. I was looking at part of the Welfare Expert Advisory Group commentary, and there are 61 Mm. benefits that people can apply for. And surely I think it's hit the nail on the head. Access to people, to these organisations is critically important. And Mm. I, I just feel that... Thinking about this, inland revenue doesn't, it says, as always said, that inland uh, transport is expensive to administer. Well, you've got yes. the job, so get the resources. And I don't think it's getting the resources, but so I think it, the one thing is more resources are given to inland revenue about that to, to help it with this. But I, I do wonder, on a macro level, we should be thinking about, well, what was so wrong about universal child benefits, paying more, mm. paying universal benefits and, and means testing? Because I'm sure Shirley sees this, and I do speak to advocates such as the Child Poverty Action Group. There's a sort mm. of scrambling around, begging to get this, that, and the other, and people trying to navigate their way through 61 benefits they might be able to. And so I think this costs money, and but people in poverty costs money and there was that magnificent thing piece by john campbell the other week about the dunedin um project this dunedin study longitudinal study and it comes back to that the children are 185,000 children are the ones we should be thinking about here and the system isn't is is looking in as economic units it's completely irrational we really i think we should at a macro level, we should step back and think we want to get the best possible start to all our citizens and everyone in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And it starts mm. with the children. And I think we really knew, seriously have a discussion about what is so wrong about going back to universal benefits. Many of us, I was one and in Britain, but they're similar here, ben- our families benefited from the supply of all those free services, child support, and not child support, child benefit. I think we really should go back to that because it'll help here. I said this, the circumstances that we're yeah. dealing with, it the, is the, the, the question. The, the question is whether it would anything like meet the costs that are currently, as we were discussing, income-based. Um, and look, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Shirley, can I have one point? Do you hear cases 
where there's plenty of money, but someone is simply not paying up? Or is that actually, in your experience, quite rare? Uh, No, I think we do see situations. We see people come to us with massive debt um, for uh, child support that's unpaid. And again, not a simple question. I don't think it's a matter of I can't be bothered or I don't want to. There are all the other issues that sit in amongst this, which are, you know, employment, mental health, addiction, uh, all the other levels of complexity of the people that we work with. Understood. Thank you both very, very much. Shirley McComb there and Terry Boucher.